Welcome to Zero Downtime, the new podcast brought to you by DCD's editorial team in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical infrastructure provider. Vertiv has kept the world's leading businesses connected for more than 50 years. We build, deliver, and support critical infrastructure that's available, sustainable, and future-ready. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. So, uh, for this DCD downtime podcast, I'm talking to the first man to ever use the phrase Internet of Things, as far as we know. Um, obviously, if any of you know different, uh, let us know in the comments. But um, I have Peter T. Lewis, who um, coined the phrase Internet of Things in 1985. And the concept behind it. And the concept behind it, which is actually a far more important thing. Absolutely. So now let's let's have a bit of context. Um, you can tell you you know better than me. You can tell me um, where we were in 1985. Um, I think that's that, that's how we yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. Well, insofar as the internet goes, uh, you know there have been uh, three evolutionary stages of the internet. Uh, the first stage uh, when it got started, uh, and it was basically uh, born out of the ARPANET which was mm-hmm. being run by DARPA. It's a department of uh, the, uh, um, the Department of Defense and Army uh, Research um, mm-hmm. uh, Project Agency. And uh, the ARPANET was generally used for military and educators. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then it got turned into the Internet as more and more, uh, not just educational institutions, but industrial folks were demanding to have access to this new mm-hmm. method of connectivity. Um, uh, and in terms of the in terms of the years, DARPANET was DARPANET was the nineteen seventies. Yeah, and, that's where um, it started off. Is the ARPANET yeah. is what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the seventies, uh, you started to have TCP/IP in use, that's and right. it started to become known as the internet. Yep. Uh, people used email on it. It was that's this right. sort of digital connection medium. That was essentially what it was for, uh, and not so much connectivity of. Uh, networks and things of that nature because computers weren't ubiquitous uh, at that point in time. So we had started, uh, uh, in answer to your question, uh, in the early 80s, 1985, uh, but even a little bit earlier, uh, we had applied for uh, the Washington, D.C. cellular telephone permit on the non-telephone cluster of frequencies. And our competitors, uh, mm -hmm, go ahead. So, yeah, so we're bringing in uh, cellular phones here, which I think is both technologies are really very new. And it it seems to me that your uh, coining of the phrase, putting together the idea of the Internet of Things was really combining these two very new technologies. It was. It was like a Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, putting the peanut butter and the uh, chocolate together and out comes something that tastes good. And in this particular case, we put uh, cellular and the Internet together uh, and and out came uh, IoT. And you're saying we. I mean, I I think we need to put you in the picture here as to sort of um, who you are and and how you came to be in a position to be doing this, because your background before this is a pretty interesting one, too, isn't it? 
Well, that's where it started. You know, I'm a military brat. I was in the military in the U.S. Army, and uh, I was a uh, combat and signal uh, and mm-hmm. nuclear officer. So yeah. my specialties were telecommunications and mid-range nuclear missile systems under uh, Pershing missiles, which all three of those units were in Bavaria or, uh, region of Germany. So when I got out, uh, I uh, started a company called Metropolitan Radio Telephone Systems, Inc., or MRTS, it was known as. And uh, we applied on June 6, 1982, for the Washington and the Baltimore licenses for Siler, as well as some others. So uh, we ended up uh, litigating with the Washington Post and uh, other mutually exclusive applicants. There were a total of five of us. And after about a year of litigation and an expenditure of about a million dollars U.S. each on legal costs, uh, we finally settled and we formed the Washington Baltimore Cellular Telephone Company, Inc. And then we gave it the short name Cellular One as our marketing name. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where it started. So I was one of the five uh, original owners and founders of Cellular One. uh, And uh, those assets have, you know, since been sold and it's now mm. you know at&t wireless and yeah it's a happy part of at&t wireless yeah, it's a happy part of at&t wireless and i've divested all my interest in cellular and uh, they own it now so they have the bigger mm. uh, deeper pockets and uh, can do bigger and better things as a result um mm-hmm. by the way i use uh, verizon <laughs> 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 that, that was the enemy back then you know when they were then bell atlantic and then before that they were mm. uh, Chess- chesapeake and potomac telephone when they applied for the wireline side of cellular but to make mm-hmm. a long story short the internet at that point in time uh was basically in the first evolutionary stage of pc connectivity Uh, The second stage uh, Mm. being uh, social networking and the third stage uh, being where we're at right now. And that's device Mm. connectivity where basically uh, machines and things uh, plus managers meet in the cloud uh, for collaborative purposes. So that's where we were in the 1980s. And uh, what I as the as uh, of the five partners in the company, everyone said, well, Peter, you're not running a newspaper like the Washington Post, and you're not running Metro Media, which was, you know, uh, morphed into Fox News. Uh, so why don't you be the, of the five partners, why don't you be the one that puts your wing for executive management over the company? So I moved uh, the first employees. We rented some furniture from a place called Court Furniture up the street, and we leased about 15 Oldsmobile Cutlass vehicles. And we uh, just got the company started. We leased 2,000 square feet of space and then kept growing in my building in Rockville, Maryland. And that was the birth of Cellular One. And uh, so uh, the objective, of course, was to load people uh, onto the switch, onto the system, and bring these subscribers in uh, so that we would enjoy higher revenues. And then at some point, uh, I started looking at what we were doing and said, you know, we're just subscribing human beings to this to this network, and I think we can subscribe things and machines. Uh, people still need connectivity to devices, so we start looking. You know, I started looking primarily at uh, intelligent building systems and how we could connect elevators and 
uh, and those sort of systems uh, that were within buildings, uh, you know, cold water chillers, boilers and everything so that the maintenance personnel could basically get an event or an alert uh, when a threshold was violated. And, um, and that conduit to do that would be uh, through cellular. And um, so, uh, or, or, you know, or the internet, uh, whereas we could connect these devices mm. with cellular and basically subscribe them to the switch. So now you have an elevator uh, or an escalator or a cold water chiller or a boiler in a building or a red light controller or an underground Exxon uh, tank at a service station uh, is now a subscriber. Uh, you know, paying fees just like a human being subscriber. So I wasn't, uh, uh, when I gave the speech in 1985, uh, the intent, you know, wasn't for Internet of Things to, you know, be something that I was marketing. I just came up with the term because we were using the Internet as a conduit to increase uh, our revenue. And, uh, um, you know, it was, a, it was a matter of greed and wanting more money. Uh, you know, and and uh, and higher revenue for the company. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so uh, I, the American I, I, way. Yeah, 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 and uh, what's the UK way as well? You know, and Absolutely. you know, we're, I mean, we're, we're, last time I checked, we were not a not-for-profit corporation. Right. So you know, uh, it was a good thing to do. So when the mm. uh, Federal Communications Commission uh, asked if I would join the uh, 15th legislative weekend of the Congressional Black Caucus that was being held at the Washington Hilton Hotel to give a talk for the telecommunications group. I said, sure. So I wrote up a speech, turned it in, uh, and, um, and then I was on the panel with Doris McMillan, who was the anchor of uh, uh, one of the uh, TV stations here in DC and uh, WGLA Channel 9. And, uh, and, uh, and my, you know, purpose was to talk about cellular. They had someone talking about radio broadcasting and I talked about cellular. So I basically went over in the talk, how I got started in cellular and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, the, the emphasis of the talk was not internet of things. It was cellular. And, uh, and that was the thrust uh, you know, of the uh, speech. And that was the thrust of what I was doing. The thrust of what I was doing was not connecting devices. I just wanted that. Uh, and it was an idea as a means of increasing revenue uh, and and subscribers onto mm. Cellular One, onto our system. So that was the idea. And when I gave the talk, I talked about how we had done this Reese's mm -hmm. peanut butter cup thing and taken the chocolate and the peanut butter and in this case, the internet and cellular and mix them together, and mm. voila, you know, we ended up with yeah. means. So, so I, and I called it Internet <laughs> of Things uh, in the speech, Excellent. and uh, yeah, and that I mean, was and that's how it came about. You, you you may be kind of overstating the the simplicity of this because we are familiar with chocolate and peanut butter, but in 1985, <laughs> I mean, the number oh, of you know, you're right, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the number of people who had a mobile phone or were even on the internet. But <clears> 1985, <throat> I was just about, you know, to, to get on the internet over here, you had to sort of find a way to subscribe and share an academic internet connection. And, right. Um, mobile phones were big things that people had in their cars. And yep. Very few people had them. That's right. We, and, didn't have, we didn't even have portable phones. We didn't introduce the portable cellular phone 
mm-hmm. until some years after our grand opening, which was on the 16th mm-hmm. of December, 1983. That's when we opened up Cellular yeah. One. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point in time, people didn't even know how many L's were in the word cellular. And yeah. uh, the only thing they related cellular with was this makeup cream uh, mm-hmm. that, that used the word cellular. And that was about it. So yeah. people were confused as to what it was. And a lot of people thought it was basically an extension of a cordless phone. Mm. And uh, so we went on, you know, the educational campaign mm. to educate the public via media and so forth. I chose radio and print to do that. And mm. uh, we went to car shows. We went to all sorts of things uh, yeah. to educate the public on what cellular was. But, uh, mm. yeah, in the beginning, it was fixed mobile mounted mm-hmm. uh, only. There were no portables. And then the next stage was the bag phone, where mm-hmm. it's basically a mobile, a full three watt mobile in a canvas bag. Uh, and um, um, and then we introduced the Dynatac uh, portable Motorola phone that Marty Cooper uh, mm-hmm. had devised at Motorola. And uh, we introduced the phone on the north lawn of the Washington Monument. And uh, DARPA actually set up the Army tents, uh, large mm-hmm. tents. And uh, the only thing they didn't do is put fake grass uh, inside the tent. And uh, the reason I say that is because that was probably one of the worst thunderstorms in D.C. And mud was everywhere inside <laughs> the tent. And all the media uh, in the Washington area was there. There's this grand opening of the, of the first cellular mm-hmm. telephone portable and we were all stepping around in mud like pigs. And, uh, you know, so it was a horrible day, but it was a great day at the same time for the introduction of the portable. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, over on the Internet, um, there were not that many devices connected to it. I think mm, not at all. And PSINet in Baltimore, uh, PSINet had just gotten started and they were the mm-hmm. first commercial yeah. Uh, internet uh, service mm-hmm. provider, not in the U.S., but the world. Mm-hmm. And, and when, uh, yeah. And when people talk about the precursors of the Internet of Things, people connecting devices to the Internet, one of the ones that often gets mentioned is the um, the Coke machine at Carnegie Mellon. And, and that was only connected, I think, in 1982. So yeah. you really were, I mean, talking about things of which very, very few people were aware on both sides of the coin, saying here's... You know, you can you can connect devices to things on the Internet and then saying and you can use the cellular network as a way to extend that to wherever they happen to be. Yeah, and, absolutely. And yeah. Build, building engineers and property managers, mm-hmm. they, they were loving what we were you know, yeah. selling there as I came up with this idea. And uh, because mm-hmm. they could now uh, be alerted uh, when there mm-hmm. was a threshold violation of a field within a data uh, mm-hmm. you know, record. Uh, as an example, the uh, the boiler in the office building, the, the lower mm-hmm. coil just went out at two o'clock in the morning. Well, the building engineer would not know and be advised of that event. Uh, and then they'd wake up in the morning, take their shower and go to work at 630 in the morning, only to find that the uh, water in the boiler is ice cold. And when people do their jog or come in in the morning for work, they weren't going to be able to take a hot shower in the building you know, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 restrooms. And uh, so now they would get an alert, you know, uh, an audible or a signal or a cell phone message or something of that nature Mm -hmm. with a voice enunciation that says your boiler is out. And uh, then they could, you know, hop in the Toyota and drive over 
to the building, place the coil or activate boiler number two, or we would implement a self-healing methodology, whereas when that event would take place, it would automatically start, uh, you know, boiler number two. And uh, so they would still have hot water unbeknownst to the tenants in the building that it was ever out or unavailable. So, you know, those were the, uh, I've been a victim of going to the gas station. And when I'm 15 feet away from the pump, when I see that white sheet of paper that's taped on to the end of the pump flying (laughs) around in the wind, I don't even have to stop and read it because I already know what it's going to say. It's going to say, we're out of fuel. We're out of 93 octane or we're out of 89 octane or we're out of diesel. And uh, so, uh, and generally it's line paper. It's not solid paper because it's usually a student that rips the sheet of paper out of their spiral notebook because they're studying (laughs) for exams. And the manager said, look, every three hours you need to take the pole and put it in the hole in the ground of the gas station and pull it out. And if the gas comes to this line at 27.3% of the tank or whatever, that's when you pick up the phone and you call the refinery in Baltimore and say, we need more 93 octane at this Exxon station number 4477. But they don't do that. They keep studying. And then the customer comes and say, hey, there's no fuel in pump number four. And they'll say, oh, my God, I forgot to check with the pole like Steve, the owner, told me to do. And next thing you know, they're out of fuel and the customer goes across the street to BP or, a, or Shell or some competitor. Yeah. And they not only get their gas, but they get a, you know, a pack of uh, they get a Reese's peanut butter cup and a bag of chips and, a, and an $8 yeah. car wash. And uh, that Exxon just lost the business. So, again, Internet of Things and, and uh, you know, to make that alert and push that to the refinery and say, we need more 93 yeah. octane. We're not going to run out of fuel and we're not going to lose that customer. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially, you know, uh, uh, why I liked it a lot because I was a victim to all these things. I was a victim of going to work in the morning and all the red lights at the intersect, all four intersections would be blinking red because the red light controller went haywire and no one in the department of communications or, tele- or, or transportation knew about it. So, Again, Internet of Things. Yeah. So it wasn't just making money. It was make my life better. Make everyone's life better. Make a life better. Make society better. Um, mm-hmm. Save money. Make money. Uh, uh, be able to more efficiently adhere to laws and policies. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what it all does. Uh, it, and if it can't do any of those things, there's no need in wasting the money mm-hmm. to implement the technology. But you're right, Peter. Uh, It's make life better. So how um, prescient were you at this stage? How how, how well, I mean, because um, the speech you made, the, the, are all the words of it available? Have you got any you can uh, read out to us or say? I mean, the... Uh, uh, not sure I understand the question. Well, I mean, in nineteen did in 1985, speeches didn't get sort of um, typed in and put up on the internet because that's not how things work. Oh, no, that, that's not how... Uh, th- this, you were in this... a room. You were reading off a piece of paper. Uh, do the words still exist somewhere? Yeah, Chet and Sarma did an article, and he mm-hmm. republished the speech, and I sent it to him and explained to him that the when I typed it, I typed it on a Xerox 860 machine that had a seven inch mm-hmm. disc, a seven inch, not a five inch or a three and a half, but a seven inch floppy disc. Yes. Uh, I mean, the thing is gigantic. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah. 
put that in, typed it up. Mm -hmm. and, so, um, yes, and I, I've, I've got that page in front of me. It's a little hard to tell which bits are your original words, but some of it is just like... Yes. Oh, it was the By original connecting words. devices All of it was. such as traffic signal control boxes, underground gas station tanks, and home refrigerators to supervisory control systems. Well, that's Those all we had then. We had SCADA. Yeah. We had supervisory mm -hmm. control and data acquisition systems back then, and that was the closest thing to the Internet of Things. Yeah. And this, this bit is wonderful. I predict that not only humans, but machines and other things will interactively communicate via the Internet. The Internet of Things, or IoT, is the integration of people, processes, and technology with connectable devices and sensors to enable remote monitoring status, manipulation, and evaluation of trends of such devices. I mean, those yep. are your words in 1985, and that's... Yep. A, it wasn't difficult for me because I was always ahead of my time insofar as mm. technology. And, you know, yeah. uh, I, I grew up through mm. military systems and, like I said, mm. doing nuclear systems and area yeah. communication systems, supporting mm. White House for presidential yeah. trips and all that. So technology yeah. was not second mm. nature to me. Uh, yeah. And being innovative and keeping systems up and running. Uh, mm. was was my life yes actually i mean there's one site i saw which says that uh, at one stage you um you installed the car phone for president reagan is that right that's uh, correct that lincoln that lincoln continental that he was shot at shot in or by uh by mr hinckley when he shot him by the mm. same hotel that i gave the speech at uh yeah. you know the speech in uh, the washington hilton hotel on connecticut avenue in washington mm -hmm. and you know so before that, uh, the um, Secret Service asked um, mm -hmm. if uh, I would install or could I facilitate installation of the cell phone uh, in the president's limousine in the, what they called the official parade car. And uh, mm. that was that modified, uh, I think it was a 1971 Lincoln Continental you know, mm -hmm. or 81, one or the other. And uh, but at any rate, so I told them to bring it out to the Motorola shop in Landover, Maryland. So they bought the president's limousine out there and they, you know, they really wanted me there. And, uh, you know, the guys were, the technicians were there and all that. And we put an extension phone in the back for President Reagan and uh, and then one up front for the Secret Service uh, driver uh, mm -hmm. drivers. And uh, and that was it. It was a very difficult vehicle to drill through because of all the armor plating to get to the back. And uh, and then we came off the um, uh, battery uh, because the drilling through the back of the vehicle, uh, everything on the car was modified. Even the taillights were bulletproof so that a bullet couldn't go through the taillight and into the back uh, seat. Uh, underneath, it was bulletproof. It wasn't as uh, stealthy and it wasn't as bulletproof as the current presidential limousines, which are even heavier and more mm -hmm. fortified. But yeah, we, we, we did that insulation. And in addition to that, <clears throat> I gave uh, the White House their first two Dynatac cellular phones, courtesy of Cellular One. Mm -hmm. So we took them over there and gave them, and, th and those were the first three cell phones for the White House, the, uh, the two cell phones that I gave them, portables, and also the one that we mounted in the president's limousine. Ah, fantastic. Yep. So um, going 
forward again to the to you giving the speech i'm interested in the, the context of where you gave it because i mean the black caucus explain what that is and how and how it operated and the significance of it at that time and how they came to ask you to talk about technology there well yeah and it wasn't them directly it was actually the federal communications commission that uh um uh, that that asked me uh, to get involved and most likely because i had a good relation with the fcc uh, mm. because of the fact I was on the Land Mobile Advisory Committee to come up with the technical rules for cellular. And there were mm. 10 of us on that committee that advised the FCC uh, mm -hmm. uh, in the process of promulgating those rules under what was then called Part 90 uh, of the 47th chapter of the Code of Federal Regulations that governs all the rules mm -hmm. for the Federal Communications Commission. So they knew me and I knew them and they advised me of this uh, event going on and they thought it would be a good idea because they were looking for panelists that were minorities uh, mm -hmm. and they were looking for people to be on the telecommunications or the communications panel which was very heavily attended mm. uh, i'd say by you know close maybe to a thousand people in the ballroom it was pretty big and mm. uh so uh, i uh, along with other under doris mcmillan's panel uh, mm -hmm. was there and uh, everyone gave their talk and then did Q&A and I did my talk and did Q&A. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of my questions were about cellular and not about Internet of Things. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it went it went by without people realizing the significance. People are already blown away with the, the, the development of cellular, let alone, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the alone Internet, the Internet of Things. Yeah. yeah. And so... I mean, if it had been picked up at that point, it would have gone on sort of beyond the Black Caucus to uh, to the mainstream. Yeah, it didn't really go anywhere. And I wasn't out there trying to push this new term. Uh, mm -hmm. And I wasn't even trying to say, well, yeah, I developed a new term. That's just what I called it in the speech. Later on, I think when Kevin Ashton, uh, you know, started using the term and ramping it up, uh, that's when it really started getting more noticed. And mm -hmm. uh I kind of chuckled when I saw everyone was saying that Mr. Ashton was the one that came up with the term, and I really didn't say anything uh, and uh, and kept quiet about it uh, until one of my friends said, didn't you come up with that term? And, uh, you know, a long time ago, and I said, yeah. So he contacted Chetton. Next thing, Chetton's talking to me, and uh, I wasn't even trying to push any kind of article. I wasn't trying to get publicity for it or whatever, and that's essentially what happened. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, because Kevin Ashton was, was quite a long while after you. I mean, uh, well, the, I predated his use of it by, I think, 14 years, I think 1999, <laughs> uh, you know, minus 1985. I think that's a delta of about 14 years. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Yes. And I mean, it's it's uh, there's no um, hint of plagiarism here because people were simply unaware that you'd been uh, talking about this back then oh no i never accused anyone of anything i never uh, never filed mm. any uh any uh trademarks or copyrights on it because like i said mm -hmm. i it, it more so was accidental you know uh, mm -hmm. that i even came up with that i, I wasn't trying to coin it as mm. a you know worldwide new term or industry or anything mm. again i was looking at it purely from the standpoint of leveraging you know, the, uh, the internet and cell phones mm. as a means of connectivity of the devices and things, uh, yeah. and, uh, and to, 
to build up our subscription onto the first cellular yeah. system in the United States. Yes, and I mean, was, uh, I was in interested it, in generating revenue for, for yeah, our company. That's right. I mean, I, I wonder in a way, almost there are some ways in which the, um, the Internet of Things was almost more of a natural fit for the primitive cell phones that existed in the 1980s. Um, you know, very low data rates were available, but um, yeah, the cha- yeah, the channels the channels were only 30 kilohertz wide. And so mm-hmm. they, they really met the true definition of narrowband. And mm-hmm. uh, but when you look at the uh, uh, when you look at the type of devices, as I gave some examples, like an underground uh, tank uh, mm. monitoring system or a red light controller or mm. something of that ilk or a boiler or a water chiller or an escalator uh, yeah. or a fire system or a lighting and lighting. It's just on and off. Either the light's on or it's off. Yeah. It's binary one or binary zero. And one, so, one bit, right? Yeah. So, so if you, if you want to set up an IoT to measure the temperature of the wall over here, mm-hmm. uh, then you drill in a sensor just like you would mm-hmm. have an old, yeah, yeah an mm-hmm. old Vauxhall, you know, vehicle made in the UK, mm-hmm. and say, well, this was made in 1952. It doesn't have a digital uh, mm-hmm. readout on the dash uh, for the temperature, so you have to tap a hole in the manifold and screw in a heat sensor and then convert that mm. uh, heat value to a digital value. And you're mm. essentially doing an A to D or an analog to digital conversion. And voila, next thing you know, that old 52 Land Rover or Vauxhall uh, mm. or Austin Healy uh, now has a, a digital mm. gauge in it. And, uh, you know, so mm. we, can, we can pretty much IOT eyes just about anything that was mm all analog like an old boiler and you couldn't measure yeah. the temperature you just well, drill a sensor into it and you'd be able to do it and plus the things you were thinking about iotizing at the time would have been large um stationary objects like those underground tanks that's um, right exactly and at that time um cellular phones were large and heavy and you didn't want to move around too much so it, it's it's interesting how the iot concept really fitted the technology you had then. then it really did. And, and, really, and really to this day, when you look at NB IoT, narrowband Internet of Things, mm. that really constitutes, uh, you know, 80% or more of the bandwidth mm. requirement. Uh, broadband is just generally not needed, you know, for mm. a device. And when you collectively look at a bunch of devices like drones or whatever, sure, that link that is the fat pipe that eventually goes into the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, that pipe needs to, you know, be thick enough, just like a VPN, to accommodate all the users uh, mm. in, a, in a virtual private network. So, but the device itself does not necessitate uh, broadband in most cases. Mm. Yeah. So, so let's kind of fast forward and whiz straight through to now. We'll sort of um. We'll wave at Kevin Ashton as we fly over him. <laughs> roughly half halfway between then and now, actually a little bit further, and um, and so we've now got um, we've gone through a, the, the period where um, people on the internet was the money, voice was where the money was, and then all the internet access that people had, the World Wide Web, um, mobile gaming, all those things, and the Internet of Things is now. Um, has has become um, uh, widespread or very widely talked about, and it's the it's 
the hot new thing that is going to be enabling what people call edge computing was going to be a major application of edge computing. Absolutely. Um, how, how does this current iteration of the Internet of Things look to you? How does the current iteration of the oh. Internet of Things, what's the Internet of Things looking like to you at the moment? Well, uh, first of all, it's a, it's a system that still is going to be subject to risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, there are, you know, HIPAA laws, there's, uh, you know, personal information violations, uh, Fitbits, uh, what's your weight? Uh, is mm-hmm. that hackable? Uh, you know, the, that, that kind of uh, information. Uh, it's certainly vulnerable to denial of service attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been done already. The, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as I said in my talk, when I talked about manipulating devices, uh, when you go back to, you know, the movie, The Italian Job, where they're, you know, get away from uh, with, with all the money and they're uh, controlling all the red lights so that they turn green. So the, you know, Austin minis can get away with all this mm-hmm. bank money. Uh, you know, uh, that's the worst type of scenario that you can think of. So I think that nowadays, you know, uh, there's there's certainly more attention um, uh, with, uh, uh, you know, with security to Internet of Things. Uh, I think that when it comes to standards, uh, a lot of standards, uh, when it comes to physical interfaces, how do we interface these? You know, there's still hundreds of different interfaces uh, to these things. Uh, When we start looking at standards for, you know, what's going to be the sequence of generating IoT events, as an example, uh, when we, you know, populate a refrigerator or our uh, cupboards with food, uh, when we fast forward to 2027 and uh, to the days where hopefully we'll have uh, automatic uh, shopping list, as you pull a jar of peanut butter off the shelf, it subtracts because you have an antenna inside the cabinet and it says, mm-hmm. well, the peanut butter hasn't been put back for 20 minutes. So if that's what Peter and Peter agreed to 20 minutes, then if it's not put back, then we count that as minus one jar of Skippy peanut butter. On the other hand, if we if we can do it in reverse, instead of subtracting one jar of Skippy peanut butter, we can add one jar of peanut butter to the trash can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's another way to do it. So should we should we subtract from the refrigerator or the cupboard, or should we add to the trash receptacle uh, to come up with uh, the uh, populating of the shopping list with one jar of peanut butter? And uh, but those kind of standards. Uh, uh, I, well, I think people are looking at them. I think we still have a long way to go um, in the um, in the industry with that. Uh, insofar as the robustness of it, you know, since 1985, uh, even earlier, uh, it really doesn't need to be any faster because when there is an event uh, or when that Exxon pump does reach 27% or the triggering volume to call the refinery to refill it, yeah, we have 5G and, uh, you know, 5G new radio. We have 4G LTE. We have 3G, which is where, you know, analog and digital were still being combined in a hybrid manner. But really, does it really make a big difference whether you get that notification as to that event in three seconds or whether you get it in 20 seconds? And, and uh, so, sure, with 5G and with edge computing and the ability to connect 5G E-Node-B sites, or a fancy word to call it a cell site, 
instead of connecting all the way back to the mobile telephone switching office, you now have an edge center, you connect to the edge, and then the edge connects to the 5G core. So as a result, the physical distance uh, that would cause a lot of uh, resistance in the circuit, the overall circuit, mm-hmm. is going to cause latency. Further away it is, the more latency. So that's one of the hallmarks of edge computing is reducing latency. And uh, so we're certainly going to have reduced latent IoT systems uh, mm-hmm. uh, now and as we move forward into faster uh, communications generations, including 6G, uh, you know, it takes about eight years to get a new generation mm-hmm. going. And, you know, people barely know what 5G is. Uh, and I'm certainly looking at what are the use cases for 6G, number one, and what are the technical attributes of 6G over 5G? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have, we, it's time to start that now, um, you know, so that we can start you know, toward those standards for what's going to define 6G and the things that are going to connect with it, like Internet of Things devices. Mm-hmm. Are we going to start seeing Internet of Things devices consuming more data anyway? The, we, we both start out with this idea that the Internet of Things doesn't need much data. But then when people started using mobile phones, we didn't have the idea that people needed much data. And it was only in the first, you know, yeah. Correct. First 10, 15 years of this century that people started doing the web on the phone. And yep. already people are saying, you know, hey, you put a car on the on, on the Internet, you're going to need, um, you know, video cameras pointing in every, every single direction. You're going to, you know, so uh, are Internet of Things nodes going to start to use massively more data because, simply because they can, because you can put cameras on everything? And uh, are we going to get sort of, uh, a glut of IoT data. Well, what you said is correct. Uh, when you start looking at probably what the biggest data hog is out here, it's video. When you start mm. looking at the four types of emissions, you know, voice, video, uh, data, and imaging, imaging being a little bit different because that's really scanning, like facts mm-hmm. would fall under the eye or imaging. But yeah, you're right, there, there is going to be a higher consumption and uh and that's going to be born from the first thing you said and that's video but the second reason there's going to be a higher consumption uh with iot devices is the best way i can explain it is go back to the example of the red light controller and you're Mm -hmm. monitoring these different fields of data that comprise the data record within a red light controller sitting at an intersection um and uh, and so Back in the day, you just want to know when the system goes haywire and all four uh, directions are blinking red and cars are trying to run into each other and Mm. people are trying to be courteous or discourteous and give each other a turn. Mm. Well, again, you know, to monitor for that one event where that one field says, well, I'm code one. That means I got a problem with the uh, pedestrian countdown timer on the northwest corner or the yellow light, the amber light on the south uh, or the north corner is burnt out. And so you send an event, but you don't, uh, every time the light toggles from uh, uh, red to, to yellow uh, to green, each one of those toggles does not require a data record to be sent over Internet of Things. Well, fast forward to the year 2022, here we are right now, and here we have this thing called big data and this thing called analytics and this thing called predictive analytics, which is the ultimate in analytics. Well, now 
every time every one of those red lights changes or whether the pedestrian countdown timer starts, you're now creating an event. The event is the light just went from red to yellow. The light just went from yellow to red. And we're going to log down the time and we're going to log down the location this took place, et cetera, et cetera. So now all this, these transactions of this one red light intersection, what used to be an event every once in a while, every couple months or so, is now an event every five or seven seconds. Mm. Uh, and that information is being aggregated and put into the storage repository for analytics mm. later on. Uh, mm. And uh, it's like, well, why do you need that? So management can say, well, the red light, the, the yellow light burnt out. And when it did burn out, it went through 3,782 toggles or 37,000 toggles to, uh, and, and the one made by, uh, by Peter one, yep. that, that, that brand, Peter one brand burnt out at 30,000 toggles, whereas the Peter two brand burnt out in 42,000 toggles. So mm. we're going to stop using Peter one and we're going to start buying the Peter two, mm -hmm. uh, Amber light for yeah. the red light for yeah. that reason. So, yeah. you know, you got to look at it all and say analytics uh, and 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 the the desire to manage these devices that's really what's going to drive uh, you know mm. the frequency in which you want to get data from that device or that thing or that machine and mm. I think that's going to be a big part of what's going to define uh, mm. the insatiable uh, desire to have more data yes I mean predictive maintenance if if, if you if you're replacing the amber light and that's then right. And the system knows that the um, that the red light has now toggled sort of two thousand nine hundred ninety five times. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. While, while you're up the ladder, change that one as well. <laughs> That's right, because you know it's about to burn out in a hundred more toggles. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then you know the sort of um, uh, order of magnitude more data from that traffic light that comes in when somebody decides we want to know how many cars go past when it's green. We want to know how many cars uh, bust the red light. We'd like to have, um, uh, we'd like to have um, recognition on the number plates, you know, so you start doing image capturing and video capturing and all those other things on that same piece of furniture. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all those things that you say are true. Those, those are all the things that are going to drive the, mm. the, the higher uh, usage rate, you yeah, know, uh, yeah. of, of the of the entire circuit. Yeah, and, and you know, some of the um, you know, maybe the police department would like to occasionally get facial recognition of pedestrians walking across the uh, the crossing. Yeah, that's right. So, and uh, there's Big Brother coming in, and they're doing that now. And mm -hmm. uh, the companies that do smart tags at the toll booths, a lot of people in New York were complaining, saying, "Why do they have a?" the same kind of antenna at the end of the Lincoln Tunnel when there's no toll. Well, that's because they can tell that my car or your car just went past that location and they log it. And wait a minute, are you persistently tracking the location of my car? I didn't give you permission to do that. So now we got a privacy issue. Mm. And yeah, and uh, the privacy and security of it is something that you flagged up uh, back in 1985. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done right um it's been i think uh we're coming to the end of the amount of the time 
we normally spend on these podcasts. Yeah, so, yeah. Wonderful talking to you, and um, it, it's it's, re- it's a real privilege. Um, well, I'd like to certainly thank you and your audience mm-hmm. for uh, having me today. And like you said a little bit earlier, you know, it's all about uh, how do we make life more convenient, and and how do we make our lives easier, and, mm-hmm. and how do and and how do we uh, how do we make management uh, more effective, uh, and by using technology and certainly internet of things has enabled that. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us, Peter Lewis. Thank you again in your audience. It was great talking to you, Peter. Sustainability is no longer a nice to have. It's a priority. Vertive Power, cooling and IT management solutions for critical infrastructure are designed to reduce the use of energy, water, and space. From innovative liquid cooling to dynamic grid services, we work hand-in-hand with customers to enable them to meet their data center sustainability goals. Visit us at vertive.com and see what we can do for you. Thanks for listening to the Zero Downtime Podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical digital infrastructure provider. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to our channel. We'll see you again next time.